Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmony Of liberty Let our rejoicing Hello everyone, it's Reverend Eric Biondi with the West Virginia Faith Table. Today we have with us Becky Sepperly, um, who has had an amazing career and is still hard at work making sure that great things are happening for West Virginians. She was the national president for six years of the League of Women Voters. Uh, she was the president and CEO, uh, formerly of the Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation. She is currently serving on the City Council of Charleston, West Virginia, and she is the council president. And also, she is working with mentors to help provide support for those phasing out of the foster care system, which is a passion of mine as well. And I'm so excited to have her here with us today. Becky, welcome to the Faith Table podcast. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Having seen and heard all of the many things you've done, and this is just but a tiny snippet of, of the work you've done over the course of, of your life, I'm curious, though, how has your faith informed your public action? Because I know for me, my faith is very foundational in what I'm called to support out in the public sphere. And I was curious how your faith has informed you. That, that's a that's a good, good question, Pastor. Um Early on, I would have told you that it didn't. Mm. I would have said I, I made very little connection between my faith and what I did in the community or, or anywhere else for that matter. It just, you know, you, you went to church and that was church and you did it on Sundays and then you did the rest of your life during the week. But I'll have to tell you that as I matured, and I guess so did my faith, I began to see direct connections between what I was doing and the desire to do it, it's almost like a, a, I hate to use the word calling, but it is such a, a it's a sense of need. You know, I, I try to, people say, why don't you slow down? Why don't you stop doing some of this? You're retired. You know, I can't. Isn't that terrible? I can't. I just see something and I think, for some reason, uh, God has put that before me. Uh, I, I was very, very ill for a while with cancer. And there was a time when we weren't sure we were going to make it. I was going to make it. And people kept saying, I kept saying, why did, why am I alive? Why, why let me live? And they kept saying, well, you have more to do. God has, there's more to do. And I'll have to say that the, you mentioned the foster care, aging, young people aging out of foster care. It just came to me when we were working in the church on a, what we call a mission study to attract another pastor. And it just occurred to me, we were trying to think what, how discern what a new church would be with a new pastor. And I was the head of the mission study. And as we were all sitting around talking about it, it just occurred to me, that, you know, there's a, a group of young people out there, young adults who have no support whatsoever. And we need to step up and do that. And so that became part of the mission study. And ironically, or not really. It's probably a God wink. Yes. Uh, the new pastor, the new pastor at our church read that and said, that's the church I want to go to. And he's here because of that. 
that is that is not ironic. That's the Holy Spirit at work, if, if anything. I, I feel like God takes those moments where um, God inspires us. God really tugs on our heart. And I'm, I'm really thankful you went there and you used the term calling because there are moments where I think that sometimes we have to do something because we have to do it. But there are sometimes that we have to do something because there's a, a greater force, which I believe is God calling us to act in a in a way that maybe he's taking us out of our comfort zone a little bit and exactly exactly derek i had no uh expertise or whatever in the foster care system or anything like that so now i'm learning it but it was really a step out you know the political arena the politics i have a degree in political science i have all those things you mentioned i've worked for the secretary of state here i've been on the state uh, election commission, all those things have been in my wheelhouse. This is totally, totally different. Uh, I have to say, I enjoy learning. I mean, it's it's a it's a good thing. As someone that um, hopes to be a lifelong learner, seeing you do this, I'm like, heck yeah, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Whenever that day actually comes, I don't <laughs> know when I'll grow up, but when the day comes, I I'm I'm hoping to be a lifelong learner. That no matter what, there's there's always something to learn and. That knowledge can be put to, to good use, especially for the benefit of individuals that do need more people in their corner, more mentors, more support. Uh, we all need a support network. So that's that's wonderful. At the beginning, when you were talking about faith, you mentioned how church was um, on Sundays for you. And then the rest of the week was the rest of the week. And I, I tend to use the term that sounds like compartmentalizing. Um, and I feel like a lot of people compartmentalize their faith. It's I almost wonder if it's kind of how we were taught for a while. Um, was there anything in particular that stood out that helped break down those compartments that made you realize, oh my gosh, this is my faith in action out in the public sphere? I think maybe facing the fact that I was not going to live forever mm -hmm. uh, and having to do that with a very serious illness and having angels be put in my life. Uh, and by that, I mean ordinary people who were placed in my life and and helped me help me live, frankly. Mm. Um, and some of them I knew before I was ill and some of them I didn't. They but there they were. And um as we talked and 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 I I faced the fact that I had to look back at what I'd been doing and why I'd been doing. And so it forced me to take a look at that. And I think some of that as a young person we we when we go to church on Sunday, it's usually because our parents have said, "Let's we're going to church on Sunday." So that was the case you know. for me. I know yeah. that. <laughs> you know, my mother said, "You're going." You know, that's just the way it is. Yep. And so that's what it is. Um, and I'm not sure that connection was ever made. And maybe it could be at a certain age. Maybe you have to have a certain level of uh, maturity. Your faith has to mature. And I think that experience, um, and then just thinking about why do I do what I do. Uh, and I think about some of the scripture that I can remember from even being little, because at one point you're going to laugh about this. I wanted to be a minister. I, cause it, if not for the right reasons, I'm sure <laughs> it was, uh, you know, like, that was the person when we went to church on Sundays that everybody respected the minister. I mean, yes. a lot of respect. And um, so I used to practice reading the 23rd Psalm in front of the mirror so that I could deliver the sermon. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, you know, as a kid, but anyways, I can still say it, but, but anyway, um, so I think 
that helped me. Uh, mm. It made my faith mature, made me mature about what I was doing. It made me be more deliberate about what I did. Um, I When I saw inequities, and particularly for women and minorities and um, and people who don't look or like me or have the same lifestyle as me, when I began to see those inequities, I thought, that's, that's not right. And my mother always told me, you know, life is not perfect, you know, just, you know, it's not fair. But I thought somebody's got to step up. And why not me? I, I think that's so, so profound that, yes, life's not fair, but that doesn't mean that we're not called to work to make it fair and equitable and just for all. And um, that that to me is just so profound. Um, thank you for for naming that. And I I had no idea that you had considered being a minister before and had already done the practice in front of the mirror. That's that's really where it gets going. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, um one of the things that we with the West Virginia Faith Table care immensely about is uh, voter protection and, and voter rights. And one of the things that you shared with me a little bit was your involvement in the Motor Voter Act or what was known as the National Voter Registration Act. And I'd love to hear more about the, the work you did with that. Well, we we being the League of Women Voters, uh, that was a top priority for us. Really, what we were trying to do was get same day registration, which we're still trying to get same day registration, uh, but it wasn't going to go. And so we had to regroup. We had to think about, well, what could we get? So that making it easier to register, you know, the registration process was set up to stop and to make it harder for people to vote. Most people think, well, it was to ease voting. It was not. The first voter registration uh, requirements were uh, in 1800 in the state of Massachusetts, mm. and they were designed to keep people out of the polls and have been used over the years for that very reason. So we thought, well, what could we do? Let's make it easier. What is something that everybody or most people do when they become of age? And that's they get a driver's license or they get it renewed. So why not make it easier to just fill out the card and do what you need to do when you get your driver's license? Or there were certain social service agencies in case people who didn't drive could have access when they were there getting their um, filling out whatever forms they needed to do and, and, and going through the requirements for various uh, uh, governmental services, they could go ahead and register to vote. Um, and it was a long haul. We had a huge coalition of people uh, that, that joined the, the coalition and um, we, it took several years. However, we lobbied Congress, obviously, and the League of Women Voters is a grassroots organization. So we had, thousands of members all across the United States, the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. And we activated that, that those chains and it became a priority and worked on it day in and day out every chance that we got. And uh, we were credited actually with its passage. Uh, I got to um, to speak at the signing of the Voter Registration Act. Motor Voter. Oh, it was a, a political junkies uh, dream come true. I think I told you that. Yes. Um, but there's a funny story about that, too. When uh, we had the ceremony on the South Lawn and um, everybody, the president that was Bill Clinton at the time, the vice president was Al Gore. And it was outside and there's this huge bank of cameras from all over the world. And I thought, oh, my gosh, look at that. And I, I was glad I've been practicing that 23rd Psalm in front of the mirror. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so um, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so wonderful. I can't believe this. 
and I was able to speak. They asked me to say a few words. So the president speaks and the vice president speaks and they, they're tall men. And for those people who know me, I, I, I'm about five foot. And so when I stepped up to the podium, I couldn't see over. I couldn't see the audience. And I thought, oh, what do you do now? So I giggled and I stepped to the side and I smiled and said, oh, well, I'm loud. I think you can hear me. At that time, Vice President Gore stepped up, pulled out a little stool out of the podium for me to stand on. And I, again, I giggled and I said, oh, thank you. And he said, oh, no, you don't need to thank me. I'm only here to serve you. And mm -hmm. I just, it was just, I cracked up. I mean, it was, it was a hoot. Uh, the whole place cracked up. But it was, um, it was one of those things when people tell you, and I, I say this all the time, and this was before I was part of City Hall, but, uh, and now I'm not so sure I want to keep saying it, but uh, you can fight City Hall and you can win. Mm. I mean, this is, uh, this is, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's the very foundation. Voting is the very foundation of our democracy. And without the consent of the governed, that's how it was set up. We're yeah. to give them our consent. If we're not able to, then this democracy fails. Yes. And when people put blocks in front of us to keep us from this, and I think this is an inalienable right, then uh, they're blocking our whole system of democracy that this country was founded on. I, I think you're exactly right. I think that when we go back to these truths that are self-evident, there is this understanding that the consent of the governed, the government should exist because its people see see it as as a necessary part of, of living, an important part of life. And when we make it so that only some get to say uh, how how they're governed, um, that sounds a lot more like an oligarchy to me. Or or it sounds like a system that reminds me more of how the Middle Ages were when kings and queens and Dukes and duchesses benefited, uh, but the common person uh, did not. And I, I feel like that's something that for us as the, the democracy, they kind of started it all in the enlightenment that our, we're at our best when we are listening to as many voters as possible. And uh, so, so voter expansion is something that we care about and ballot accessibility. And in reading the uh, op-ed that you wrote uh, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, um, I, I remember you mentioning how, uh, the importance of voter expansion and ballot accessibility. What what are some of the ways that uh, this conversation is happening right now? Um, I, I heard you mention uh, the same day voting and that's still being discussed. Are there in addition to that, are there other things as well? And with same day voting, what what is the discussion currently uh, going on? Well, right. In addition to same day registration, there's also discussion about making it a holiday. Mm. Uh, making, uh, so then you don't have to get permission or your your uh, employer doesn't have to work with trying to get people to the polls. It'll be a holiday and you got the time and you go. Also, uh, making it more transparent instead of less transparent, which in our current situation, we've made it less transparent about who contributes. You know, there's uh, when we were working on campaign finance reform at the national level. And in fact, the league, again, was very instrumental. The bill that was the law that was declared unconstitutional was was one that we we had supported and wrote. Um, but anyway, um, if you need to know who's trying to influence the election process and with the dark money, it, it isn't reported. So you don't know who it is. Um, and we had one senator uh, who kept saying who equated and still does money 
with uh, with voting. That you know that's how we uh, express ourselves. Well, it, it's not. That doesn't mean you know if I were um, a Rockefeller and I had more money, then I had more votes than you did. Uh, money is not the right to vote. And uh, now I'm not saying you shouldn't contribute. I'm not saying I, I raised money to run for office and and love the support that I got. I also felt and followed all the rules because people needed to know who was supporting me. Yes, uh, I was not ashamed of that. Uh, I was not. Uh, uh, there was no undue influence, uh, but there is undue influence when the contributions get huge and they're hidden. So, if, for an example, if I'm a member of Congress and you've given me, uh, Pastor, you've given me ten thousand dollars, and my next door neighbor's given me a thousand. And the phone rings and I've got five minutes and you're both wanting to talk to me. Who do you think I'm going to talk to? The, Not my neighbor with a thousand dollars. So, you know, just to say that there is no undue influence is incorrect. I mean, so so getting rid of uh, looking at the campaign process, the um, how and who contributes how much and uh, knowing the transparency of it is critical. Uh, enabling the election commission to enforce the laws right now the the federal election commission is is dysfunctional because it does not have the teeth it needs mm. to enforce the laws so there is discussion about about that as well also uh again back to campaign finance reform the political action committees are not supposed to have any relationship with the candidate and we need to make sure that that's true and set up some um, uh, tightening of the regulations so that we don't have a coordination between candidates and political action committees. Again, it's an unfair process. Early voting, being able to vote early, continuing that. Some states don't do it. You know, the years ago, they, you only had one day you could register to vote. That was it. Like on the third Thursday of something, and that was it. Um, that So... Uh, having early voting, West Virginia has set the target for that. When Senator Manchin was Secretary of State, he is the one that helped expand that process. So having early voting, having voting for no excuse during COVID, with the increase in the people who voted because it was easier. So you don't have to have an excuse. I just don't want to go to the polls on that day, but I can vote absentee anyway without having to have an excuse. Um, that, In fact, when we did some... Um, polling data when I was at the National League, you mentioned uh, your pot, your previous podcast before the election and telling people where to vote and all that sort of stuff. When you ask people who don't vote, what do they need? That's what they need. They don't understand the process. What is the process? Where do I go? Where's my precinct? What are the hours? Uh, who's running for office? Not telling them who to vote for. They don't yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. But um but those are the kinds of things that will get them to the polls, interestingly enough. Um, so you did the right thing. So having access to the information and being able to know where to go. Uh, we've actually seen instances where people, particularly in um, areas uh, where it's minority or people of color, um, they will send out, they being election officials and others, will send out misinformation that, if you voted in the primary, you can't vote in the general election. You've already voted. Um, that your precinct number is 135 when it's actually 235. Or telling the precinct is at such and such a church when actually it's down the high school. Um, and, and that kind of stuff. 
Um, and we need to be able to, to correct those kind of mistakes. And we need to correct, be able to protect our poll workers. Amen well. to that. I, I know that, um, especially with the tension of the last several years, that um, poll workers have been, well, they, they have been under attack in more ways uh, than I care to admit. And if, if I had known that growing up, I would have called you a liar because I just looked at those volunteers as, you know, salt of the earth. No one would ever uh, cause harm to them. And the stories I'm hearing from the last couple of years, it's, it's been really awful. Well, that we for some reason, um, well, I, I think most people know, I mean, it's the, to, to manipulate the process. We have made, instead of it being a wonderful opportunity for us to participate in our democracy and have the right to vote and to cherish it, we've made it a, a bad thing. Uh, and people will say, well, you know, I hate those politicians. I'm not going to vote. Well, then you're going to get what you get. Yes. Uh, we make the choices. And when we don't make the choices, guess what? And so when people tell me, you know, complain and they say, well, did you vote? And they go, no. Or they say, and I say well, then you shouldn't be complaining. I mean, that's, a, that's an old adage. If you don't vote, don't complain. Uh, and the same thing, people say, well, my candidate never wins. Well, it's not a horse race. You're not trying to pick a winner. You're trying to, to express who you feel will best represent you. And then the majority of the votes who are cast for the majority of the people who think they will represent them, they're the winner. And, you know, my mother used to ask me, why, why do you do what you do? Why do you do all this crazy stuff? You never win. Well, I did win a few, but at any rate, she said, <laughs> you never win. And I tell her, no, it's not about winning. But if, if we don't speak up, if people don't speak up, then it, it won't happen. People won't even know about it. They'll think things are fine. So um, whether you win, lose, or draw, you've got to be in the game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And one of the things that I've, I've come to realize, too, is sometimes a good showing, even losing, can be the rallying cry needed in the next election. Um, that, that people realize, oh, I, I didn't think there was any chance that this had any support, and 30% voted for it. Then, then more people might show up to the polls next time. So I, I'm a firm believer in the grassroots. Uh, get everybody uh, registered and let, let the, the voice of the populace, the Vox Populi, uh, let, it, let it be heard. So. Absolutely. So, well, we're right here at about our time. And I just want to thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. Um, one other, <clears throat> one important thing that I think is of the utmost importance is that this month is um, women's, uh, women's Voting Month. And so I wanted to, to take a minute to, to, sh to name that and to say what in this particular month uh, would you like others to, to know about the importance of, of this? And are there any stories or anything else that you'd like to share? Yes, this is Women's History Month. And um, women fought, fought for 72 years to get the right to vote. Oh, my word. Oh, yes. And um, it was uh, interesting that they, I would have quit. I would have gone, yahoo, victory, we got it. They didn't. They saw what had been happening to other people who had the right to vote, how they've been shut out because of ignorance. You don't know the process until you actually uh, get in it. So that's when they changed the name of the American Women's Suffrage Association to the League of Women Voters. People ask why women voters. Well, this is why. Uh, although we had men who are members of the organization as well. 
um, to teach women, again, the process and how to get involved. Um, so again, 72 years. Uh, John Adams was concerned when they started when they started to liberalize the voting rights because the first election you had to be a male you had to own property and blah blah blah. So as we begin to loosen it, he said, you know, you can't do that. Everybody's going to want to vote. Even the women are going to want to vote. You can't do that. Then um, of course we didn't listen to him. Thank goodness. Yes. Uh, because we're governed by the same government as everybody else. Um, so women fought hard and long to get that right. And um, and I think a lot of times uh, young people, young women don't know that. So what I would say is for people to to cherish that and to reach out to celebrate, uh, make sure that you participate as a woman in the process, decide to run for office. Uh, it's it's a wonderful or rewarding experience um, and um, support those who do. Oftentimes people say women vote for women and that's not true. Uh, oftentimes women don't vote for women and that that's sad. And even though we, we fought and got the right to vote in, um, in 1920, we, we won the right. It wasn't until 1980 that we voted in the same numbers as men. Now repeatedly we vote outvote men. There are more women voters registered and more women vote in the process. Wow. That's when I uh, started seminary in 2007, they had announced that, my seminary class had more women than men in it. And that was one of those things that I, I knew what that meant, especially given the very patriarchal tradition uh, that that I, I come from. And so it was one of those to hear that. I'm like, that's that is great progress, but it's a shame that it takes so long. Well, praise God that since 1980, it, it clearly has made a direct impact. But it is heartbreaking that it it took so long to get that number up to, to equal. Well, that's why you don't give up. You just keep going. Yep. The fight never stops. And we are we are called. And I love that language that you used again, called Thank to continue you. the fight. Thank so, you so much. I've enjoyed our discussion. This has been wonderful. Well, Thank you all so much for listening to us this week at uh, the West Virginia Faith Table podcast. Um, we're hoping that next month we'll be uh, able to produce another one. We don't have uh, who it will be just yet, but stay tuned and we'll let you know. Um, for those that, that listen, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Um, we are people of faith that are trying our best to make sure that every voice is heard because we believe that God is speaks through every single person. And so may every voice be heard in our democracy and may uh, freedom ring. We hope that you have a blessed day and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Let us march on till victory is one, one, one.